I don't know what uh, your New Year prayer has been, uh, assuming that you're a praying person, if you're a Christian, that you depend upon your Heavenly Father and that you come before Him with your needs, with the desires of your heart, seeking to align your will with His. As a New Year begins, what is it that you pray for? I wonder if uh, I stuck a microphone in your face this morning and you had to answer that on the spot whether it would be something to do with health or safety, or whether it would be something to do with the pandemic or the uncertainty of another year or weariness and burnout or the provision of new work or for the salvation of a loved one or what would it be? I wonder where it is that our hearts and minds go when we think about what we need from God the ruler and sustainer and the creator of this world and our lives. Well, as far as prayers go, I wonder if this is a good one that you could put as a banner over all those things. Psalm 119, verse 18. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. It's a prayer that assumes that in order for us to, to know and to understand the Word of God, that is His written Word, the Bible, that we need His help. That by nature we are blind to the truth and need His Spirit to open our eyes, to give us spiritual sight of who God is and what He has said and what it means for us. Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. The thing that I love about that prayer is that it also assumes, uh, it also ignores, in a sense, the rest of life's circumstances. Maybe ignores isn't the right word. Maybe it puts into perspective all of life's circumstances. Or it's a prayer that seeks the perspective of God's Word on all of life's circumstances. Uh, a little while ago, well, some years ago actually now, uh, I remember chatting to my dad. It was uh, one of those weeks where just everything was going wrong. And it feels like nothing's working and nothing's good and nothing's right. And so what do you do? Well, you ring your parents to complain about it, <laughs> right? And I was telling my dad about a whole bunch of things that are going wrong at once. The kind of download that you can only do with your parents. And his response was, what you're saying is that life is happening. And he wasn't being flippant. And he wasn't being dismissive. He was being very sympathetic but he was also very aware of reality. That in life there are often many things at once that aren't right, that aren't good, that aren't working. It's sickness and suffering. It's not always rainbows and ice cream cones and tandem bikes and unicorns. That's not what life is like. There is suffering, there is sickness, there is a truckload of disappointment. And that is the world that the psalmist inhabits. 
the same world that we inhabit. The psalmist is absolutely realistic about living in the midst of this broken and divided world with all its sickness, all its disease, all its disappointment and all its death. The psalmist is 100% realistic about our human experience while also being 100% hopeful. 100% hopeful in the sure and certain hope sense of the word hopeful. 100% hopeful that even in the midst of all those circumstances, standing upon, trusting in and delighting in God's promises is not only the path of blessing but it's also the path of freedom in this life and in the next. The psalmist is very realistic while at the same time being very hopeful because he's standing upon the sure and certain promises of God. And the psalmist talks about those circumstances in verses 17 to 24 in that first little section. You'll know that Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible and it's all about the Bible and uh, it goes through every letter of the Hebrew alphabet as like this acrostic poem and the section we're in here starts at verse 17, goes to verse 24, uh, recognising the realities of life. Um, A crucial recognition that in the midst of a fallen world, the psalmist knows that the thing that he needs most is for God's good and gracious work in his life. And that good work of God, that he knows he needs most, isn't first and foremost to change his circumstances and to make everything better. Just as I turned to my dad and hoped, probably against hope, that he could make everything better, Sometimes we turn towards our Heavenly Father and expect that He will instantly make everything better. And maybe He gives us pause to say, is there something more important than fixing your circumstances, than making everything okay according to your standard? Maybe it's more important that God makes Himself known by his word and spirit. Is it better for you to trust him in your circumstances or for him to fix your circumstances? Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. I am a stranger on earth, a pilgrim in a foreign land. Do not hide your commands from me. My Soul is consumed with longing for your laws at all times. He knows that this is the place where he's going to find not only the salvation that he needs, but the sustenance to keep going. The salvation that he needs from the world around him and from his own sin, but also the perseverance to keep walking, to keep living to keep trusting along the way. And the psalmist points us to that wonderful truth that maybe the greatest need that we have this year is that God would continue to make himself known by his word and spirit 
more important maybe than even changing our circumstances. In order that we might see him clearly, in order that we might see ourselves rightly, in order that we might see the world truthfully, in order that we might see our actual needs accurately, all of that requires God's revealing work by his word and through his spirit. And the psalmist knows that he needs the guiding, comforting and life and hope-giving work of God. Why? Well, because he's a stranger. A stranger in the world, a pilgrim through a foreign land. It's the picture that he is not a permanent resident of this life, of this world. He has no claim to this life as his home. And Mike reminded us of that last week, didn't he? The big question of where do you live? To whom and where do you belong? Is it to this city and this world or is it the city of the new creation, the heavenly Jerusalem? The permanent city where God dwells amongst his people when every tear is wiped away. As a Christian, we're reminded that heaven is our home. And the work of God's word in our life is to show us that reality and to to attach our hearts and our identity and our longing to that home to be with the Lord Jesus rather than the things of this life. I remember uh, the first time I ever went to New York City, one of the things that I was struck by is that you could stand uh, on vast streets where as far as the eye could see, there was just tall buildings. And uh, depending on which corner you walk around, there's places in New York City where it feels like you just can't see beyond the buildings. You can only see a very short way in front of you with no real gap. And I wonder for many of us if most of our life feels like we can't see past our circumstances, partly because we are limited, We are finite, partly because our circumstances overwhelm us with fear and uncertainty, with weariness. Well, God's word is to your circumstances what the Empire State Building is to the New York skyline. It lifts you up in order that you can see beyond what's right in front of you to gain the bigger picture. And God's word for us so graciously grabs us by the scruff of the neck and all too often lifts us above our circumstances to say, see all of that? Do you see the grand sweeping uh, storyline of God's plan of salvation in Jesus that he's been working out for thousands of years? Do you think your circumstances provide too great a challenge for him to overcome? Do you feel like you can't trust him, the God of the universe, the one that spoke the world into existence, the one that upholds everything by his powerful word, the one who knows every hair on your head and every grain of sand on the sea? The other day at the beach, my kids and I were grabbing fistfuls of sand and trying to think how many grains of sand do we have in our hands? Millions, maybe? And look how many more millions there are? And 
God is so big that he knows exactly how many grains of sand are on the beach and how many hairs are on our heads, how many stars are in the galaxy and the universe. Do you think your circumstances and your family and your health are beyond him? God's word gives us that perspective, that in the midst of the all-consuming circumstances of life, He talks about scorn and contempt and slander. All-consuming circumstances, feeling like he's attacked from the outside by what's happening around him. He says what? I can continue to delight. Verse 24. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counsellor. In the midst of those circumstances where we need true and trustworthy counsel, God says, I've given you everything that you need for life and godliness here in my word. He doesn't promise that his word will make us forget about our circumstances or change our circumstances or immediately fix our circumstances. But he does promise that he will change us through our circumstances, by his word, driving us closer to him as we rely on his promises and delight in his word. Well, circumstances are one thing. The things on the outside that kind of happen to you, that feel like your enemies... But what about the enemy within? Because here's the thing, you can run as far as you like from your circumstances. You can change as much as you like of what's happening on the outside that's within your control. But what about the inside? Imagine you run as far as you can away from the enemies of of the circumstances of your life. Guess what? As you arrive at your new destination, you find that you're still you. And that many of the enemies of life in this world actually come from the evil desires of your heart, the depravity of your mind, the weakness of your own flesh. What about the enemy within? Have a look at verse 25. Psalmist writes, I'm laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I gave an account of my ways and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Cause me to understand the way of your precepts. That I may meditate on your wonderful deeds. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me and teach me your law. I have chosen the way of faithfulness. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes. Lord, do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands. For you have broadened my understanding. He is down in the dust. He is weary with sorrow. And what does he pray? Strengthen me according to your word. 
It's a wonderful promise. It reminds me of that great verse in Isaiah 52 that speaks of the Lord Jesus, the servant of the Lord, who says that a bruised reed he does not break and a smouldering wick he does not snuff out. When we feel weary and broken and like we can't stand on our own two feet, a bruised reed that any sensible gardener would simply cut off and throw away. The Lord Jesus, in his tenderness and compassion, stands us up and holds us and strengthens us. How? According to his work. That is how you will be kept from the deceitful ways of your own desires and from the weariness of your own soul is to be fed and to be nourished and to be strengthened according to his word. His word is not some empty book that simply passes time or helps you escape to a different story, but his word is living and active is sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces to the point of joint and marrow. It divides and judges the thoughts and desires of our hearts. And in the end, that judgment, where God checks our hearts and challenges our ways and changes our desires, that is what will enable us to persevere and to find life. Well, the psalmist moves on from the enemy without and the enemy within to pray for the freedom to continue walking in God's ways. Have a look at verse 33. Teach me, Lord, the way of your decrees, that I may follow it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and obey it with all my heart. Direct me in the paths of your commands, for there... I find delight. Turn my heart toward your statutes and not toward selfish gain. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. So save from his circumstances, save from his own deceitful desires and the sorrow of his soul, the prayer for freedom, again, according to God's word. Do you see all the things that the psalmist prays that God would do for him by his word? Teach me, give me, direct me, turn me. It's a picture of finding our direction, finding our insight, taking the riches of God's word as the things in this life that we value most. And allowing God's word to shape and to direct and to turn us around each corner. Around each step. And one of the things that that's going to mean for you and for me, if we want to be the kind of people who find our life and find our direction and find our counsel in the true and faithful word of God, is that we need to know it. We need his voice to be the preeminent and predominant voice in our life. Listen more intently to him 
and even to the Chief Medical Officer of New South Wales. Teach me, give me, direct me, turn me according to your word. And the thing that the, the psalmist prays that God would turn him away from and towards is the life that can be found in God's word and away from the worthless, worthless and perishable things of this world. Uh, I don't know if verse 37 is familiar to you. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. Uh, that is the prayer that faithful and Christian pray as they're walking through Vanity Fair in Pilgrim's Progress. There's a good new, new Year's reading for you, Pilgrim's Progress. It's a great picture of the Christian life and as Christian and faithful, these two characters are walking through the Vanity Fair, what's on offer from the world? Honour, houses, families, accolades, Gold, silver, all these things. And who's in charge of Vanity Fair? Satan. Wanting you to be distracted. Wanting you to be consumed by things that will not allow you to keep moving forward in the Christian life, but will make you stuck. And as you attach your heart to the things that keep you from obeying God's word. And as they're coming through Vanity Fair and all those things are on offer, all those things that stroke our egos, all those things that look like they will fill up our lives but in the end they come to nothing. Christian and faithful put their fingers in their ears and they pray, verse 37, turn my eyes away from worthless things. Preserve my life according to your word. If the thing that you've attached your hope to in this world can be dashed, if your security in this world can be lost through fire, through stock market collapse, through a bad test score, through a bad diagnosis, the only hope that you have can be dashed by those things, then you're trusting in the wrong thing. So the psalmist challenges us to cling to God's word, even in the midst of suffering, even in the midst of pressure, that we would continue to walk in his ways. It's a very active picture, isn't it? Being people of God's word, being people who hunger and thirst for God's word and to, to feed on it day by day, it sounds very passive. Sounds very much like we're sitting in the corner ignoring the rest of life as we read our Bibles. But the picture the psalmist gives us is that there's no other way to run, there's no other way to walk, there's no other way to fight the good fight than to be a person of God's word who delights in his commands, who feeds on his promises who longs for the freedom that comes from seeking out God's counsel and his statutes. And so having prayed that God in our previous section 
would teach, would give, would direct, would turn, what is the response that the psalmist gives us in that next section? In verses 41 to 48, we see these sorts of things. Being fed and preserved and built up by God's word, it's then that I will be able to answer, I will be able to trust, I will be able to obey, I will be able to walk, I will be able to speak, I'll be able to delight, I'll be able to reach. Isn't that a wonderful thing? That it's not a, a life of passive passive obedience in the corner, trusting God as we read our Bibles and doing nothing else. No, it's by God's word as he turns and teaches and directs us that then we'll be able to answer the one who taunts me. Then I'll be able to trust. Then I'll be able to walk about in freedom. Then I can even speak of God's word before kings and not be put to shame. Then I'll be able to delight in his commands. As we come towards the end of this section in Psalm 119, the psalmist prays, Lord, remember your word to your servant, for you have given me hope. My comfort in the midst of suffering is this, your promises preserve my life. Friends, there's lots of unknown circumstances that await us in 2022. And that could be a cause of great excitement or great fear for you this morning. But my prayer for you is the psalmist's prayer that you would be sustained by God's word. And that the prayer that resides over all of your circumstances this year might be verse 18. Lord, open my eyes that I might see wonderful things in your word. I'm going to pray that we do that this year. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you so much that you do not leave us alone in our own ignorance and the darkness of our own sin, but you have shone the light of life into the world in our Lord Jesus and that your word continues to be a light for our path and a lamp for our feet. We pray that you would enable us this year to be people who hunger for your word, who want to listen to it and read it, feed on it each and every day, that you might teach and direct and turn and sustain and preserve our lives by your life-giving word, that we might have hope and that we might even stand in the presence of kings with certainty and with clarity because you have spoken. And we pray that you do this for Jesus' sake. Amen.